My name is Sarah Vioso. In May of 2020, I was diagnosed with glioblastoma, the most aggressive type of brain cancer known. This is my spiritual journey of completely surrendering to God's will while healing my soul through His grace. Welcome to Surviving Fear. Episode 5, The Treatment Plan. So at this point in this path that I'm on, I uh, was figuring out, and Paul and I were figuring out, what's the treatment plan? What are we going to do? And it's so funny because I went into this, you know, I've been blessed enough that I have not been intimately intimately involved with someone that has been diagnosed with cancer. My dad was diagnosed with renal cancer. I shouldn't caught almost by accident because um, he had an x-ray done. And in the x-ray, they said, well, your chest and lungs look fine, but there's this something, there's this thing on your kidney. And they caught it ridiculously early and was able to just do an ablation and done. Dad didn't have to have chemo, radiation, none of that. And he's been fine ever since. And, um, and renal cancer is scary because generally you find out you have renal cancer when you start having symptoms. And by the time you start having symptoms, it's usually, um, or it can be too late. is isn't usually as like, it can be too late. Just like I stood in the hospital and they pretty much gave me the death sentence. And here I am a year later, still kicking <laughs> for now. Um, but still kicking. So I, I don't want to come in with this negative, but the thing that I was like prepared, what I was thinking that when, you know, being diagnosed with cancer, there was just going to be this path laid out. Okay. You're going to do this. Then you're going to do this. Then you're going to do this. You know, I've had friends go through breast cancer, um, that, you know, their treatment, depending upon the type of breast cancer that you were diagnosed with, diagnosed with, there's treatment plans that are set. I mean, there's still decisions that you have to make, but, um, there's a lot more known about breast cancer that there is known about glioblastoma in this particular type of brain cancer. And I'm not comparing that. I don't want that to be taken as, you know, the one is worse or better than the other. It's still cancer. And that C word, good grief. We have just been so conditioned to be so scared of it. Just to be scared. They, some people won't even say it. I Cancer. It's like if you watched Harry Potter or read the Harry Potter books, it's like everybody called him he who must not be named. No one would say Voldemort. The word cancer used to scare me. It doesn't anymore because the further I go down this path and in this journey, the more I'm seeing that it's the unknown that you're scared of. It's the unknown. And you know what? We all have unknowns. None of us know what tomorrow is. No, none of us knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Nobody. So that's where it's just like, I'm not scared of the word anymore. It does. Yes, I have or had, again, I will say had, since they removed the tumor, I had brain cancer. I refuse to believe that it's still in my brain, even though that's what all the articles tell me is that it goes dormant and stays in your brain. I refuse to believe that. Um, and I'm, I'm a big mind over matter person, soul over matter is actually what I prefer. And I'm going to go further into that in another episode, but I just believe keeping that positive attitude 
is so important to healing. Um, so anyway, so trying to figure out what the treatment plan is, because like I said, with glioblastoma, there is a standard of care. And the standard of care is once, if you have a tumor that is in a position that it can be resected, which I was blessed enough that that mine was very posterior. If you, if you're looking at my podcast and there's an art, there's artwork there that my amazing cousin, Laura gifted me is that artwork of, um, the circles that spiral into a center point. You can't see that they fully spiral in because what we have over it is my first MRI. And you can see the giant, I don't want to give it a monster beast, but you can see the tumor and you can see the cyst that, um, that was there. And they removed all of that. So the cyst was all lined with tumor cell with cancer cells. And then you can see the white is the tumor itself. And that's the glioblastoma. And the glioblastoma, the way it works is fingers that go into your brain. And I know I talked about this in one of the earlier episodes. So the standard of care can be very successful or it can do nothing or your tumor can continue to grow. Like they're not going to say, this is going to do it. Like we've got a cure. This is the cancer you want. Like I remember when my son was diagnosed with supraventricular tachycardia, SVT, they're like, if you got to pick a heart problem, this is the heart problem you want to have because there is a cure. There is a solution. Um, they don't say that with glioblastoma. I don't really care now. I mean, when they first told me that it scared me to death. Um, but I don't really care now because I'm like, okay, well, one thing about glioblastoma, it is the reason why it's so hard to heal from. And I almost said battle, but I refuse to say battle, um, because battle is negative. Battle means if I'm fighting something, then guess what? It fights back, but I choose to live harmoniously with whatever's left in my head because it's serving a purpose. If there is anything left in my head, as of right now, the MRI says there isn't, but glioblastoma can be a little persnickety and likes to go dormant. And it will have, it can have um, microscopic fingers that go into your brain that will lie dormant and then come back. Um, But again, right now, today, I'm great. So I'm going forward with that. But anyway, I was just prepared for, okay, you have glioblastoma, then you're going to do step one, step two, step three. Um, Not necessarily how it goes. Generally, when you're diagnosed with glioblastoma, one of the first things they talk to you about is um, clinical trials. And clinical trials, I mean, these aren't, they're testing different treatments that could prolong your life or be effective against um, be effective against whatever the disease you are is fighting. Uh, you are fighting. It's it's the state of the art stuff. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, so anyway, um, so there is a standard of treatment for glioblastoma, and the standard of treatment is 
once, if you're able to have a resection, once that happens, then they give your body some time to re- to recover from surgery. You go to a um, radio oncologist and they do a map of what's left of where the tumor was. And then they, you do six weeks of radiation and six weeks of five days a week. So it's 30 treatments, 30 treatments of radiation directed at where the tumor was. And they do, I think like a three centimeter um, border extension of the border of where it was. And then while you're on that, the entire time you are on um, chemotherapy and the chemotherapy for me, wasn't um, it wasn't bad. Like I, every time I thought of chemotherapy before I went through this, I always thought it would be an IV and you're sitting in a chair for hours while you're getting a transfusion of some sort. And, um, that wasn't the case for me. I was very fortunate that the type of chemotherapy I have, it's called Tamadar and Tamadar, um, is a pill. So that's a big, that was a big thing for me that, you know, as I'm going through this process was quality of life. We have two kids. You know, the thought of me having to go back and forth to a hospital that's two hours away daily to be able to get my radiation and to be able to get my uh, my chemo did not appeal to me because time here on earth is very limited. We like to think it's long and drawn out and we have a hundred years to do whatever we want. But the fact of the matter is, is we don't. I mean, you think about it now. I think about now it's 40, you know, I'm 44 years old. I still have very vivid memories when I was eight, vivid memories of being eight years old. Like I could transport myself there. And it seemed like it was just yesterday and here I am 44 and I have two kids and I'm married and it's just, it, it just goes by so fast. So like you have to, if it's something that you're dealing with, the best, you have, if you're dealing with any kind of illness or struggle that you've got to have treatment for, you have to determine what your boundaries are. What are you willing to do? Like for me, like there are treatments happening all over the world for glioblastoma. They're doing stuff in Germany. There's stuff happening in Mexico. There's stuff, you know, happening all over the world. I'm not willing to uproot my family to Germany to get treated. It's something I'm not willing to do. And that's where I say you have to figure out what your boundaries are. Are you if your boundary is going to be different than mine? I don't want to miss my kids' events and my kids' milestones because I'm in Germany having treatment. But that's my choice. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that's just where I'm comfortable at. And you have to decide where you're comfortable at. And for me, like a big part of that is my faith and why I'm not willing to do that. Um, Because I know this isn't the end. Whether I live one more day or whether I live 50 more years, I know that when I make my transition that I'm going to heaven because I've accepted Jesus Christ into my heart, and I know that. So for me, my perspective is, well, okay, now mind you, I don't want to go tomorrow. Not ready yet because I still got some work with my kids, and my husband and I still have some work with my kids to do. You know, they're teenagers. There's lots of guidance that needs to happen. We don't want to mess that up. So 
you have to decide what you're comfortable with and what quality of life you want. And um, so I had to do, and I made it through all my radiation treatments. And if you've never had radiation before, um, you know, I want to say I'm lucky because it was on the brain. I mean, it just, you know, I'd walk out of radiation literally seven minutes. That's how long I was in radiation, seven minutes. And each treatment for 30 treatments. And my body was managed to make it through all 30 treatments, which is no small miracle. And you get through that. And I mean, the first like week was good. And then I started hitting like day six, day seven. And then I was coming out and I was like, okay, I just felt like I rode the biggest roller coaster at six flags 15 times in a row that has like 20 loops in it. You know, I just would knock me silly. I would go home. I would nap. Um, part of the other part of it is I was taking chemo daily for six weeks straight. Now I struggled with my blood counts. So I had to stop at 37 instead of 42 treatments, um, which was fine because my body was like, okay, I'm done. I need, I need to recover. And it took me a little longer to recover from that. And it was tired. It was fatigued, but I was fortunate because like my radiation was my brain. I lost hair on half my head and then a spot on the other side of my head because the radiation passes directly through the brain. Um, it's, it's not fun. I'm not going to lie. Going through chemo and radiation is not fun, but it can be. And that's where the meat of this I want to come at you with is you're always going to have struggles. You're always, there's always going to be something and it's the attitude you choose to approach it with. So I, my original attitude was we're fighting because that's what everybody says. You're going to beat cancer. You're going to fight it. And like I said before, I don't like to use the word fight anymore. I really like to use the word heal. But in the beginning I was using fight. So for my very first treatment of radiation, I showed up at the radiation um, treatment center and I I showed up because God bless one of my oldest friends, my, um, gosh, my maid of honor, my wedding, Amy. Amy sent me a shirt from Rocky from Mick's gym and or Mickey's gym and boxing shorts. So I ran with it and I had boxing gloves. So I had the whole getup. I showed up and my first treatment of radiation wore my boxing gloves the whole time, had on my boxing shorts and my Mickey's gym from, um, from Rocky. Sorry. We love Rocky. It's any, it's the, it's the greatest comeback story, not comeback, but I guess underdog story. And he's Italian. And, you know, I respect Sylvester Stallone because he wrote it himself. And then he was the lead actor. And it's just one that we love. Like my family can quote it, the whole movie. And I love them for that. So I showed up my first treatment in socks pulled up to my knees, my boxing shorts, my boxing gloves, and my Mickey's gym t-shirt ready to go. Mickey was was Rocky's trainer in the movie. I walked in because I'm like, I'm going to have some fun with this. So I walked in and I can't tell you how many different people walked up to me and sat next to me in that waiting room that wanted to talk and tell me their story 
And they wanted to know what my story was. Like, why was I coming in this getup? And we were laughing. I'm about to walk, and my husband can't come in because it's my first, you know, because we're in COVID. So you got to go in by yourself. And there I am sitting by myself, making friends with all these different patients because I walked in dressed, ready to fight. And everybody's sharing their story. And we were smiling and laughing. We're all in there for some sort of cancer treatment and we're smiling and laughing together. So that's why I always just want to stress with you is that if you can have fun with something, have fun with it, even if it is cancer, because we're put on this earth to reflect God's light and his joy that we only get like a snippet of. We don't even, we can't even fully comprehend what his true joy and love feel like until we get to heaven. As they, it's described in the Bible, it transcends all understanding. So I want to start trying to transcend myself now that I shouldn't be having fun. I should be in a pit of sorrow and despair because I've been diagnosed with this awful cancer. But I wanted to have fun with it. So I did. I showed up in a rocky get up for one. And then, I mean, I was losing weight at an alarming rate. So all of a sudden I could fit into my high school prom dresses. Um, so not a diet I would recommend to anyone for the record, but it was my situation. I couldn't keep weight on. I'm Italian. We keep weight on pretty easily. I like my meats and cheeses and breads and and I couldn't work out because I felt so sick and uh, now I couldn't eat. So, and I wasn't eating because I wasn't feeling well. And so weight is falling off of me. So guess what? I called my mom. I said, mom, send me my prom dresses. And most of them I actually already had, but um, she sent them to me. So every week I showed up in a different prom dress from the late or early nineties. It was fantastic. It was so fun. I put them out on my Caring Bridge site so people could see and laugh. I sent them to my high school buddies because they were all there when we were wearing these dresses. And it was fun. It was fun. I went 70s one time. I had, I love dressing up for costume parties. And I had bell bottoms with this awesome um, paisley shirt. And I had my hair in what was left of my hair at the time and pigtails and big fun 70s sunglasses with platform shoes and And they couldn't wait. Like my staff that I worked with at the radiation clinic, they couldn't wait to see what I was going to be dressed as on Monday. And I can't imagine what it's like to have their job watching cancer patients come in and out of that building all day long, every day. It's hard. I know it's been hard on my loved ones watching me go through this. It's hard as I've watched my own loved ones go through it. And you want to bring them joy. And I will tell you, I had a happy heart in that time frame. I got to know, I called them my peeps, got my my radiation team that I'd go in and they're like, oh, we love that. Oh, we love the sparkle or oh, we love, you know, and just to spread some joy when you can. Um, you know, the whole process of all of it really seems surreal. Like going back, even now, like it still seems surreal. Like I have an MRI this week and I had to go get a blood draw today and it all just doesn't seem like it really is happening to me. It always feels like I'm, it's like almost like an out of body experience and you're watching it happen to someone else, but it's not, it's happening to me. And just the diagnosis. And then when I lost my hair, like I remember my brother was visiting Paul and 
my husband, Paul, and my brother and I were sitting at a ta- sitting at my kitchen table. And the first time I ran my fingers through my hair and literally a handful of hair came off my head. Now, I didn't lose my hair because of the chemo. The chemo my mom doesn't didn't cause hair loss. It was the radiation. So I looked like um, a Halloween costume by the time my hair stopped falling out because I lost it on the left side of my head because that was where the radiation was happening. And then I also lost it on a spot on the right side of my head because that's where it passed through the brain and went to the other side. But I kept kept a nice strip, um, asymmetrical strip down one side of my head, down the kind of the offside middle of my head, almost where you do a side part that um, held on because radiation wasn't there. But it's surreal. It was surreal pulling hair out of my head. It was surreal when I took what minimal hair I had left and put in two ponytails and walked up to my two boys and handed them scissors. I said, cut it off. It's time to shave. That was hard because my younger one wanted no part of it. That was his line. And I had to respect his boundaries. I said, Jake, that's fine, but I'm still going to do this because I'm not going to walk around looking like a Halloween decoration with what's got left on my hair. Looked like I was out of poltergeist and that is so fine. And I don't care because I had some that held on. I was like, all right, let's go be strong here. But I respected that boundary. And I was like, that's fine, Jake. You don't have to do it. My other one was joyfully, yeah, mom, come on over. Chopped the ponytails off and called it good. My husband shaved the rest of it, which, you know, he has a shaved head. But I imagine that it was not easy for him to shave his wife's head. But so funny, I will tell you, it was liberating. It was liberating. And it was convenient So if you ever find your place where you have to shave your head, I got to tell you, there are bright, sunshiny marks to it because you get up and you're good. There's no bedhead. There's no none of that. I mean, mind you, I got some really cute wigs weren't for me, but that was just me. Some people wear wigs and they look awesome. Just wasn't me. Again, that was my boundary. You have your own boundaries. You might love wigs. Then go for it. Go for it. Go get an awesome wig. Wear it. Get 10. Get all different colors. You know, that's the thing is with this process, you need to find your own boundaries, your own comfort levels and stick to them and make no apologies for them. You don't make apologies. So I continued on with my treatment. We got through that section of the treatment and then I had to wait for everything to recover. And it took six to eight weeks-ish before my body was, the, my blood counts were back in a position that we can go back on chemo because the the rest of the standard of care is, is you do five days on, on a double dose of the chemo you were on, and you get a 23-day break. So that is where I'm at or where I'm at then. I did make it through seven rounds of chemo and then my blood just tanked. Different things were tanking. I was having to adjust. I didn't make it 23 days. I had to extend out my 23-day break longer because my blood counts just kept struggling. And I just, towards the end, I finally just said, you know what? My husband and I too, and we prayed about it. We prayed, I'm like, God, we prayed for him to make it clear because they said you can do six to 12. Some people stay on it. Some people are still on Tamadar 
as their treatment. My body was like, "Eh -eh, I'm done. So like I said, it isn't a clear path because of the nature of glioblastoma. There was a lot of decisions that had to be made. And I want to go further into that decision process and options with you in our next session together. So I want to thank you guys for listening, and I look forward to meeting back with you for episode six. Have an amazing, blessed day. Surviving Fear is made possible by the efforts of our executive producer, J.T. Henderson, writer and director, Sarah Vioso, producer and editor, Kristen Walker, artistic creator, Laura Ritchie, graphic editor, Linda Lee, and musical artist and composer, Adam Vioso.